Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark and joining me for episode 12 is the actor, the producer, the director, Dominic Burns. And this is actually the first podcast that I've done from the comfort of my own home. Dominic came to see me one evening a couple of months back. We sat and I'm not just saying this, we could have talked for hours. This It's quite a long episode for me. I think it might be the longest yet. It's an hour's worth of footage that I've got with him. And I really do mean it. We could have done a six-part special because he is someone that I feel like I've known for years. It's it's weird when you meet some people. It's effortless just just to kind of click and get on. And Dominic, for me, has been the best guest that I've had so far for just hitting it off straight away. The chemistry is there, it's it's great. He's, he's a really great guy and I'm really looking forward and I have been for a while to get this out for you all. So I know I teased it after the Brian episode. I think I teased it a bit more with Zach and I definitely teased it with the Jason Muse episode and it's thanks to Dominic that those interviews took place. So as it's a long episode, I want to get straight into it. Here is my interview in the comfort of my own home with Dominic Burns. Enjoy. So what I want to do is basically take the listeners back to your very early days. And did you actually grow up wanting to be in film or were you this person that it just fell on your lap and you thought, well, I'll give this a go? Well, it, it definitely didn't fall on my lap, that's for sure. I've always been absolutely obsessed with films since I can remember. Just I think it, I think it started out with like James Bond. I think that was like where the obsession began. Yeah. And... Um, so I was always, uh, always been a passionate, passionate film fan. Always lived at the cinema or the video shop, you know. Um, so I just grew up in and around films. But actually, when I I first started out in kind of promotions, I actually was a runner for a TV show called uh, TFI Friday. Yeah, the old Chris, Chris Evans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was kind of my first foray foray into media, and um, and I went from that into promotions, and then I went into nightclub management, and so I was kind of in more. I guess the music side, the promoting side, you know, and that was pretty chaotic. And uh, for a number of reasons, which is a much longer story, I came out of that and decided to just have a go at film. You know, I'd um, I'd made, I'd sort of made enough money to be able to breathe for a little while and take a run up at movies. And we naively started off trying to make this film for like, you know, like a couple of million pounds and we were running around Cannes trying to finance the thing and desperate to attach people that we, in our in, in our mind, we perceived this actor as having a value but just because he was famous and a hero to us didn't necessarily mean he meant any sort of money on the market in the yeah. film. That's the depressing kind of business side of the film business. And um, anyway, long story short, we literally spent like three years trying to get this film off the ground and, and we got really, really close but ultimately the whole thing collapsed around the start of the credit crunch it was all to do with that and oh it was it was heartbreaking um but we had um really bizarrely i had a chance uh, encounter with danny boyle and i'd kind of explained the situation that we had this script that people consistently responded to but we just couldn't get it over the line in terms of the finance and he just said lower your costs you're trying to run before you can walk lower your costs so we we took him very literally and we we basically had this horror film that we knew we could make, or I, well, I'd been told a million times I couldn't make it because it was the first horror film in the world that um, had to be shot in a single take. So the whole thing? The whole thing in one single take. And, um, and so I just kept getting told, well, that's stupid, you, it's impossible, you can't do this for X, Y, and Z reason, you know, you can't, you'll never be able to pull that scene and how will you do that? And, how, and I, basically, you tell me I can't do something enough and you're just going to ensure that I do it. Yeah. And... Um, so we knew we could do it for a micro budget and we scraped together like no money and we kind of scraped together a team and we just said look we're going to attempt this madness uh we're going to give it a go and we could fall right on our faces but we're not going to cheat it if we don't get it we don't get it we're just going to go for it and um and the, one of the first people i pitched that to was zach galligan right from gremlins billy from gremlins and he was like hell yeah hell yeah you know that sounds amazing and Zach was, you know, he understood and respected the fact that we had no money and this was a budget show. And uh, he came over and we had a go at it and we pulled it off. Now, the film is not great. You know, it's, I look back on it and I cringe in many ways, but we did pull it off. We were the first horror to do the whole film in one single take. First I'm aware of anyway. And, um, and because the film was kind of interesting and because it was 
different. Uh, we were able to sell it in the UK and we sold it in America and, and that kind of off we went. You know, you're off and running then. And once you've got a film that's you can walk into HMV and buy or walk into Asda and buy, you know, you, you, people look at you in a slightly different way. You know, you can't, you, you, it's ever so slightly easier to move on. You're legit, aren't you? You've kind of got the product to back your name up a bit. Yeah, you are. I mean, certainly, certainly then. I mean, I would say, if anything, it was probably slightly easier then than it is now. Because the thing now is that, and I mean this with huge respect, but um, you do get a lot of, lot of people in this business who, I mean, you say, you know, you don't get people wandering around the street saying they're a doctor or they're a fireman or a policeman unless they are, generally yeah. speaking. You do get quite a lot of people that are saying they're a film director or a film producer, or a, because the definition is quite, you know, how do you define what a film director is really? Is it a f- person who's directed a film? Is it a person who's directed a film that's been distributed somewhere? Is it a f- person who's directed a film that's been in cinemas? I mean, how do you kind of define it? It's quite, you know, it's you've difficult. got Steven Spielberg and you've got a guy that's studying film studies at college, and they're both classed as filmmakers on their CV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's, that's my point. So. And it, so it has got because there's so many more people making movies, and it's so there's so many more resources available to make movies. I mean, it's great in many ways because you are going to unearth a lot of talent. You know, you're going to unearth. You know, it's it's great because you do have the opportunity to kind of, you know, instead of like you know, like you get everyone wants to um, be the England manager, reckons they could pick a better England football team than the, the current manager. But at least now with film, everybody reckons they can do a better job. But well, at least you've kind of got at least. An amount of the resources to have a go and attempt it yourself and put your money where your mouth is, yeah. so to speak. Um, but at the same time, it does mean that the market is absolutely flooded, and with effectively the depressing death of DVD and Blu-ray sales, you know, it's, they're pretty much in the market in the business side of the film business. Everybody considers DVDs to be dead now. Yeah. So there's a lot more product and a lot less place to put it, which is depressing. It, the fact that I am not going to be able to take my daughter or son to a video shop and rent a video out and they're not going to know the smell of a video shop on a Saturday night and the excitement when new titles come in or when you're sifting through the weekly titles, you know, the ones you can rent for a week and you find that little gem with Michael J. Fox in it that you've never even heard of. I can still remember the the excitement when I'd stumbled across the secret of my success. Like... Uh, there was this Michael J. Fox movie that I never knew existed and I was holding it in my hand in this new video shop I discovered when I was about 12, you know. And, uh, I, I mean, to, 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 for my kids to not experience that re- genuinely really depresses me on a profound level. It's scary that we sound like granddads already because if I ever say to a kid now, oh, I used to go and get a brand new release and if it wasn't available at Blockbuster Video... You'd be like, oh, when's it coming back? And they're like, oh, it's not due till tomorrow. So you'd be like, right, I'm going to have to just pick something else now. You went specifically to get there to pick up something like <laughs> The Mommy <Yeah>. Returns. <laughs> and you ended up coming home with something you never heard of. But you find those gems. Absolutely. And your attention span was, I've just spent three quid on this. And if I don't take it back tomorrow, I'm going to get a fine for 20 quid. So I'm going to watch it. Now yeah. you start Netflix. Oh, I'm not into this. Next, next. Honestly, you, do you know what? You've just made a point that I've been banging on about for as long as I... Basically... I actually think that the perception of film, the perception, certainly the perception of the value of film, has changed dramatically. Because as you said, we would, me and my mates, would go into Blockbuster on whenever, you know, Wednesday night, Saturday night, whatever it was, and we would literally spend an hour, like, choosing the two or three films we were going to take home. And it would turn into stand-up rows at times, you know, it really would. There'd be a lot of serious debate would go into it. And eventually we would come out with these two or three films and you're absolutely right. No matter what these films were like, we were going to watch the whole thing because it's not like we were going to go back to Blockbuster at two in the morning. You know, that was it. Once we yeah. walked out of Blockbuster, that was it. That was the end of it. We were, um, you know, that, that was what we were watching. And I, and I completely agree now. People will watch five minutes of a film and just ch- turn it off, change it to the point where it's actually factoring into the way people write stuff now and the way people making are making movies it's actually got to the point where people are aware much like with a TV pilot yeah you know you have to hook the audience in a certain way before that first ad break you know the films are having to think in that similar way now because they know that particularly in the independent sector they know they've got to grip in and take that audience quickly otherwise they're just going to next it's depressing is there's no such thing as a slow burner anymore yeah. A pilot, if yeah. you've got to spill your load straight away, <laughs> which is true. Yeah, it is, yeah. And you, there's, no, there's no 
juicing up the audience. There's no, your pilot is, this is all I'm about. Shebang, explosions, everything. Please let me capture you and you stick with me now and build the characters and everything. It, it's, a, it's depressing. It, it, I mean, I'm not, I, look, I mean, there's so much I love about films. So I don't want to have a complete moan, but it, but it is tough. And I mean, right at the moment, um, I don't think uh, he'll mind me saying, but one of my favourite directors, never mind British directors, is a guy called Jake West. He's also a friend of mine. He did second unit on uh, Madness in the Method. And Jake did, uh, probably best known for doing a film called Doghouse, which yeah. was um, like a zombie movie with uh, uh, Danny Dyer, Noel Clark. It was, it was great. It was a brilliant movie. But we're working with Jake at the moment on, um, on a werewolf on a plane movie. Wow. Which is just, it's Call so, it Werewolf yeah. on a Plane, I'm sorry. I mean, it's so, the script is so much fun. But one of the problems we're having with it is the fact that the script's brilliant. It's genius. He's written it with a guy called Spencer, and it's so funny. And, um, and the, the, one of the problems we're having with it is that it crosses horror, action, touch of comedy as well. And less and less, there's a, there's, you would think um, there'd be more of a tolerance of that kind of cross-genre stuff nowadays, and people were up for more crazy stuff. But actually, it kind of feels like it's swinging the other way, and there's a lot less um, room for it. And people kind of want it to be a straight action. They like the whale from the plane element, but they yeah. want it to just be an action movie with a werewolf on a plane. They don't want any comedy, really. They don't want any... Um, uh, they certainly don't want any horror, which is odd for a werewolf on a plane film. You'd think there'd be... Inherently, it'd have to have horror, but it's... Uh, so it's, it's getting... It's definitely getting tougher. It really is. But that doesn't mean to say there's not a lot of quality. No. I mean, um, I was away in LA um, late last year and I bumped into the... Uh, friend of mine introduced me to the producers of The Guest. Yeah. And they'd just done um, The Devil's Candy. Yeah. And I just literally the day before had lunch with Ethan Embry, who's the lead in The Devil's Candy. I think The Devil's Candy, I, I was just waxing lyrical to Ethan. I just think it's amazing. I think it's absolutely amazing. And I remember chatting to these producers and I said, I know for a fact that you're not financing your movies through the business. You have to be sourcing it through private equity, which is effectively a posh way of saying people are investing into it. You know, yeah. It's people, people's money. As opposed to raising the money through a studio or through the bit, you know, through the industry, because the scripts like The Guest and Devil's Candy, brilliant as they are, and executed, you know, geniusly as they were, you still, you just, you're just going to have a nightmare financing movies like that conventionally through the business. Your love for film obviously um, grew into you at a very young age. You got involved in TFI Friday. You did some work with Virgin Radio. Yeah, I did actually. Yeah, the. Um, I, I, work, I worked for Virgin for a little while um, and then I got the gig doing TFI Friday. How did that come about? Because that's not like you were like, oh, TFI Friday. TFI Friday was the biggest. You stayed in on a Friday night to watch TFI Friday. Yeah, it, was it was the was best. Great. Everyone looked coked up on the, um, in the crowd and <laughs> working on it, but it looked like a great show to be involved with. It, it, it was amazing. I mean, like some of the things, like we were, like I met David Bowie when we were doing that. And that, I mean, that was incredible. And he, he was amazing. I mean, when he was on, he had, like, you could always tell when we had a mega, mega star on because the place was full of fans of just them. Yeah. And no one gave a shit about any of the other guests, any of the other bits of the show. They just gave a shit about whoever this mega star was. And Bowie, David yeah. Bowie, his audience, it was packed. And then the moment we went off air, um, so Bowie's on stage, there's only about 400 people there. And you've got to remember this is like, before, way before social media. Yeah. So, and, and as soon as we went off air, Bowie just goes, are we, are we off? Is, are we done? And they were like, yeah, yeah, we're off, David. He went, good. And I was a bit like, oh, that's a shame. You know, he's, he's obviously going to... And he went, now the real show begins. And he just proceeded to just, just do an impromptu concert for this three, four hundred people that were there, and it, which was amazing. And eventually they had to pull the power on them. The venue pulled the power. You know, that was the only way they could would have played all night. Oh, I'm so, and no security were telling David Barry to get off no, stage. Stop playing Starman, mate. They were dancing. Yeah. They were too busy dancing, you know? It was amazing. What a guy. He was an incredible, incredible um, performer. Incredible I saw person. him at um, Glastonbury. Wow. Um, one wow. of my first ever festivals. And I remember like Coldplay were on at midday and then Muse were on at one in the afternoon. <laughs> and I was like, who are these bands? And all I was there for was Bowie. Yeah. Like, that's all I was there for. And I got to see him and I was just like, well that's just ticked off the list I can die happy yeah it's that, it meant that much to me to see him it, it, it was unbelievable yeah well I mean I mean I never I met him very briefly but that story I thought is such an awesome Bowie story because <sighs> no one was tweeting about that there's no Facebook no, no. You know, no that was just he was just doing that for those guys that were in the room you know so the music scene I don't want to get too much involved but that's a lot like the films but you know I remember queuing up outside for 
Oasis Be Here Now, reading the lyric book that came with it, spending £12 on the CD and listening to that album again and again, learning every single lyric of Liam's. <laughs> now, I just listen on Spotify, oh, it's not my thing, next, next. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. It's the Netflix of the music yeah, industry. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, obviously... Um, you just got to tour. That's the only way you're going to make money, tour. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't... I, yeah, I mean, I don't know a great deal about that side of no. it. Obviously, I'm mates with Matt Willis, yeah. so I learn a lot from him, and it is pretty fascinating, and it's certainly the touring that is... But that, I mean, in a way, that's kind of a cool thing, though, because Definitely. the art of touring is is now the priority, isn't it? Yeah, you know? well, I'd wait five, six years to see Metallica. You could probably see him every year now. Yeah. Because they yeah. need to, they both pay off their fifth they have jet. To, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have to. So you've been involved in writing films, you've been involved in being on front of the camera and being an actor, and you are obviously behind the camera. Jack of all masters. Which is good. <laughs> yeah. uh, what do you prefer the most? What's your. Oh, ha- sure. hand, hands down directing. You know, yeah. that, that's where my passion is. You know, that, I, I absolutely adore it. And, um, and really, the producing is more to facilitate the directing. But the. I mean, in all, in all, in all honesty, though, it's been such a steep learning curve for me because I just kind of had the opportunity and just—I wasn't supposed to direct cut. I wanted to be an actor. Yeah. This first film I did, I, I, the director that was going to do it had to pull out at last minute, and so I, at that point, you know, I, it just made sense for me to kind of step in. Um, no one else knew the material. No one else, you know, it just—it just made a lot of sense. So I just kind of stepped in and I found that I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected, and that kind of sent me on in the direction of directing. But I mean, I've made, um, you know, I've made so many fuck ups. You know, some my fault, some some hundred percent my fault, and some genuinely not my fault. But I think, I think, I, I guess, um, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, you look back. I look back on my films, and and some of my I can't really watch. Like I can to a point, but I can't watch with any. I just kill kick myself the whole time. But at the same time. I think what's uh, the only thing that's ever frustrated me. I, n- I never mind about critics because I think it was my third film, where one I think it was I can't remember which is which. I think somebody called me a boneheaded idiot, and then someone else called me the next John Hughes, <laughs> both of which are ridiculous. And um, and I just I remember thinking like at that point I remember sort of disengaging with with the emotional attachment of reading a review. Yeah. I sort of got a very good ability of doing that. So I genuinely don't really care. But it does frustrate you sometimes when you read something and you're like, well, and they're sort of criticising you on, and you're like, well, I know, you know, if we, if we had anything like the resources that, yeah. you know, that, that the comparable, the films you're comparing us to, then we would have done that or we would have been able to cope with that or handle that or, because the truth of the matter is, is that um, in the indie film business, like I have a huge, huge respect to anybody who completes a feature film. And I don't, I don't mean someone who gets it distributed or gets it put in cinemas. I mean, if you ha- have been able to put together a feature film that you can watch from start to finish, makes sense, and holds up, that is a remarkable achievement that, frankly, only someone who's done it can fully understand You know what it means. It's, it's an incredible undertaking, and it's so tough. And if you then manage to get somebody who thinks that film is strong enough to put their money into it and start turning it into a DVD, Blu-ray, put it into cinemas, TV, Netflix, wherever that goes. If you then manage to get that film distributed, then that's even more incredible, you know? And then if, a, if, if critics don't like it, that, 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 I understand that. And don't get me wrong, I'm not coming out against critics. I, no, I'm no. the first person to give my opinion on a film, absolutely, of course. And I, 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 read, I read loads of reviews and I listen to them and I, I love review podcasts you know we were just talking about it just before we yeah. started recording so it's not I'm not in any way saying that but I'm just saying that I think that there's, there's, there's no way that someone could ever understand just what it takes you know emotionally physically to get one of these things finished it's just a remarkable effort it really is. So the respect you have is just for any filmmaker, whoever it is, Tommy Wiseau or uh, Christopher yeah. Nolan, is just, you are... 100%. I've got huge respect, huge respect, definitely, because I know just how hard it is, you know, and often when you go on to a film set, like I'll go on another one of my friends, James Nunn, who is an incredible director. He used to be a first and he's now directing. He, he will be huge, James will. I've no doubt about it. And I was on his set recently and you just kind of look at each other and look at each other in the eyes and... I know exactly the pain he's feeling and how chaotic it is. And, it, you know, anything could happen. You know, the, the venue you're shooting at could suddenly have decided they've got to get up early the next morning and no matter what you say or do, you've got to be off two hours early. 
or you know just something ridiculous yeah. like that I mean so I produced a film called um, Devil's Tower yeah and that was the film I actually met Jason Mewes on nice and uh, Devil's Tower was the most insane shoot I could we could literally talk for the next all evening I could talk three four hours genuinely and I could describe to you all of the events that took place on the Devil's Tower and I still wouldn't be done. I'd still call you tomorrow and go, oh, and there was this other thing. And you know, <laughs> It was insane. But probably, I mean, everything from getting, I mean, I, I, mean I, I don't even know where to start, but probably the most insane story on that was that um, for an incredibly, uh, for a ridiculous string of events, we got kicked out of our, the first shooting location we were at. And that is such a mad story. That's almost a film in itself. And we had Jason in the air at this point. He was flying from LA. So we had to find somewhere to shoot in, with, within 12 hours. And we managed to secure this sort of big warehouse. And somebody, as we were driving into this warehouse, uh, blocked off a woman um, who had a warehouse opposite us, had a little honey shop opposite yeah. us. And she had to reverse back. And I don't, I don't even know what the incident was. I genuinely yeah. don't. But somehow, somebody from the crew managed to piss this woman off. And it was something really incidental. Yeah. And that then spread into a huge standing up row where she ended up having a screaming match with the Roxanne Pallet, who was the, the lead actress in the film. Crazy. I then stepped in and sort of calmed it down, settled it down. The guy then came out, her fella, and started threatening me. And, and this, this whole thing nearly erupted into a, a huge brawl where the, you know, you had like the script supervisor and the costume guy and the hair and makeup, everybody like, it was just, it was, was, I mean, looking at it now, it's hilarious. It was just nuts. So this whole thing got fizzled and we all forgot about it. And that was the end of it as far as we were concerned. And the next morning um, we woke up and overnight the guy, the, the people who owned the honey shop had dumped, and this is actually ingenious had dumped and this is all allegedly of course yeah, I've got of no course. proof blah blah yeah. blah but they had <laughs> they uh, had dumped a barrel of honey up the entrance like the uh, up the, the front door and the the sort of uh, I don't know like the garage door entrance to our warehouse had just coated it in honey and therefore attracted hundreds of thousands of bees I'm picturing like the wicker man <laughs> not the bees I mean Christ. do you know what I was like that is genius I, yeah. I mean I couldn't even be I was no. talk about clapping I mean, we'd, yeah, play, I was, yeah I was like, like do you know what you win done you know Yeah. and so we literally had like like hundreds of thousands we couldn't get into our set because there was thousands of bees there so it turns out the only way to get rid of honey is to burn it off Jesus. So, so You're burning to, these doorways. Yeah. Or we're having to burn this honey off and then and literally all day, like you would just every time you looked out the window you'd see someone kind of wafting round as you know, as you're making a run. Day two on set. <laughs> trying to get into this. I mean, you know, so so my, the long you know, the long story short really is that there's so many things that are just completely unforeseen that you just can't plan for that happen in films that that always of course affect the quality. But when you've paid your fifteen quid now, which is ridiculous, yeah. and you're going and sitting in the cinema on a Saturday night and you don't care that anyone's poured honey onto anything and you don't care, you know, whether the actor was ill for two days or you don't care yeah. whether the plane never took you know, you don't care. All you would care about is being entertained and rightly so as well. Yeah. You know, don't get me wrong, that's as as it should be. But um so, you know, so there's a lot more and again, do not get me wrong. I lo- I'm blessed. I'm yeah. in films for a living. I am blessed. I'm so lucky and I'm so grateful. And every day I have to pinch myself that I actually get to make movies for a living. That's my job. I can't believe it. I feel so lucky. So don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. I'm really not. No. I'm just, I'm just sort of giving a different angle to it. No, it's good and it's interesting because you, you know you're blessed. And I think a lot of people probably would take it for granted if they were doing it for a living I, I do a shitty job half eight or six every day and a job I don't care about so my release is my podcast and yeah, talking absolutely. to people and that's my go-to thing where some people have you know an allotment where they do gardening some people go and play golf mine is talking to people about films you get to do that all day yeah. which is it's, it is amazing. It is one of those. You're, I'm not worthy, you know. Wow. Well, I mean, the thing. The thing is, is that um, so my my one of my best friends is a guy called Kailash. He's um, a doctor, and when I did cut, I had no money whatsoever. You know, we just we were. I was just completely on my ass, and we were scraping this thing together, and um, everyone was. We sort of we actually shot it in Leek in Derbyshire, but we did rehearsals in London. That's where most people were based, so it saved money. 
And basically, Kailash said to me, he just said, look, he had a flat in Notting Hill. And he said, look, for this first film, you, I'll give you a key. You can come and go as you please. You can do what you want. You can rehearse. You can have whoever you need to stay over. You know, I don't care if you wake me up in the middle of the night. You get this first film for free. After that, you can fuck off. <laughs> you know? You Not know, a bad you deal. Can, you can stay whenever you want as a mate. But, yeah. But this first film, I've seen the work you've done. I've seen the effort you've put in and the setbacks you've had and the way you've handled it. So here's my key. You know, I mean, like, nice. I'm, you know, that, what a mate. You know, what a yeah. friend. And um, so we, so we, I lived there for a little while in the pre-production to cut and then in post-production to cut anyway um it was one night in i think it was in post-production actually and it suddenly was occurring to me i was like oh my god like it was starting to actually sink in that i could actually make films this actually could work you know it feels like we've pulled something off here and there's a possibility of me being able to make this my living this is insane and so suddenly i started questioning i was like okay is this definitely what i want to do um you know you almost question I don't want to sort of, you know, wake up at 70 and think, Christ, have I, you know, I know it sounds a bit almost like uh, cliche, almost sounds a bit cheesy, but, you know, have I wasted my life? Yeah, yeah. It, you know, is this what I want to do? And, and um, I mean, I knew I had the passion for it, but I was just making sure that I sort of felt it was the right thing to, because I want to feel like I'm doing something at least vaguely productive, you know? And, and there's that risk of having a hobby that you love and that release and then making it a full-time job, you might resent it. And that is yeah. dangerous I guess territory. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, it didn't happen, but I guess. Luckily, yeah. I bet some people have. Yeah, I'm sure. Know, I'm many. sure they have. Yeah, but um, but I remember one night um, at Kailash's, we were kind of we were just going out for a bite to eat, I think, and um, and he sort of nonchalantly turned around and said, "Oh God, I had a shitty day yesterday." And obviously, when a doctor's had a shitty day, yeah, it laughs in comparison to our shitty day. You know, they've probably yeah. told somebody they've got cancer. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Something awful, you know. And uh, and then he kind of equally nonchalantly remarked that um, that I threw on an Adam Sandler film on and you know made me feel you know it felt instantly better and he kind of turned to me and said you know you definitely need to keep doing what you do so I so I can pay you to entertain me so I'm able to do the real work nice. and suddenly and he didn't say it wasn't saying it in a sort of he was saying it in a very honest way but suddenly it it was one of the most like to me it was like an epiphany and it, again it sounds daft now I'm sort of saying it out loud but. It was such an amazing moment because I was like, oh, yeah. You know, I, I suddenly felt like... I, Something clicked. Yeah, I was like, okay, well, that is... I get the place. I get it now. Yeah. You know, that, I do feel like there, there's something to what we do, really do. But further to that, whilst it is amazing what we do, we're not saving lives. And I do think that at times the film business needs to remember that. It is amazing what we do. Yeah. We are creating art and we are creating... And we're making social comment and we're creating escapism. And I think escapism in film is underrated. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with you know, a cheesy movie that allows someone to just forget their troubles for an hour and a half, you know, I think that's wonderful. But but we're not saving lives. And I think we've got to remember where we sit in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? In the in the position of the whole thing. And but I, think I feel it, comfortable knowing uh, that. I think in the same breath, you also need to give yourself credit that it sounds bad, but you are kind of a, a release for someone and like a form of Prozac or something that someone is having 100%. a bad time. If, I, if I've had a shit day at work or I'm depressed about something or someone's just upset me, John Hughes film, Uncle Buck. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Uncle Buck is my go-to film. I'll get some ice cream, I'll sit there, and John Candy um, can just do whatever he wants. Or I can put on Almost Famous, Cameron Crowe films, and I feel great again. And for that two hours, it's better than injecting myself with a drug or drinking myself to sleep. And it costs me nothing. Preaching to the converted, sir. I couldn't agree with you more. The... The, I mean, for me, I've got uh, one of my uh, guilty pleasures was all well, not really guilty pleasures, but one of my go-to movies was always Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah, and uh, it's so to... silly. It, it's great. And and do you remember the Great Outdoors? <laughs> yes, I adore that film. I know it's terrible, but I love it. There's nothing wrong, man. It's, it's, it's better it's, chase me. It's yeah. It's it's it's. Uh, I think yeah, you are right. It isn't saving people's lives and you know putting people's lives even at danger, but you are also. Had so much to some you are it's like an album you are going to mean something to someone someone is going to watch Madness in the Method and that will be their John Hughes go-to film yeah and that's a weird way to look at it but with so many people in the world they will go to that film and go do you know what Jay being so crazy in this film makes me feel better about the shit day I've had and you couldn't and you know what you couldn't give me a better compliment if somebody says that to me you literally couldn't give me a better compliment you know that would be like that you know, like you know, like just the fact that somebody 
Uh, it's improved somebody's mood and taken them away from whatever shit thing that they were going through at the time, just for a couple of hours, and that's that's perfect. You know, forget the Oscar. Yeah, I just want. I'll take the Oscar as well. Lads. You know, come on. <laughs> so you've done a few films. The first time I met you was on set. You know, um, I was interested that the fact that why is Jason Mewes in Derby? You know, that, <laughs> that, that blows my mind in itself. You know, we had Brian O'Halloran as well. We had Billy from Gremlins. Exactly. You know, I'm always going to call him Billy from Gremlins. But then I saw Vinnie Jones. You know, I'm seeing all these big names. Matt from Busted. You know, loads and loads of names. And I was thinking, what is this all about? I contacted you. I just wanted to come and see it for real, to believe this was really happening. From the moment I walked on set, and, you know, this was the biggest compliment to you. It felt like one big family of friends, of a group of people. A bit like the Breakfast Club. There are these group of people that are there for a purpose. Everyone knows why they're there. But everyone is kind of... I don't know. It just felt like everyone was rooting for each other to make the best thing that you could do. Well, and mean, that is down to you. That, that, that is a huge compliment. I love the Breakfast Club nod as well. <laughs> Judd, Judd Nelson's in this film as well. So. Wow. The, um, but, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that... What I said to the uh, the crew on the first day was, you know, I really want to make a film that everybody is proud to have their name on. And I think if you're doing something that ultimately you're excited to see the result of and proud to be involved with, then you are going to give that extra little bit of effort, you know. And I've always believed in um, giving people an opportunity. Uh, I don't believe that just because they haven't necessarily... Uh, done that specific job before doesn't necessarily mean they haven't got the talent to pull it off um, you know so I love giving people an opportunity and giving people a chance and I also think that that creates a unique vibe on a set um, but at the same time it's tough you know you you know filmmaking is every single day you're shoving dragging pushing a boulder up a steep hill and then overnight it rolls back down again and then and then in the morning you got to push it back up to the top and then eventually you know, you reach the top and it stays there and hopefully it, you know, it'll teeter and that'll be a good film. But the, um, but it's such a, such an effort and so much hard work. And the other thing is, is that, um, you know, bringing it back to Derby is, well, actually it's funny because it, it uh, goes back to, uh, so I did a film called Airborne and I was just, I was just telling, uh, um, Georgie is on the way over. So when I, when I came this way, when I came, uh, we, we went past the, um, Leicester Space Centre. Yeah. And that always, always, every time, and this was like probably five years ago we did this, and every time I drive past that sign, it makes me think of Mark Hamill. Yeah. Because we were shooting Airborne in London. We actually shot Airborne on a plane, which is, if you ever watch Top Gear, the pl- the plane that's in the middle of the track that they speed around is a plane that is often shot on. They shot James Bond on there. They shot... I never you know, knew they, this. Yeah, they shoot, it's a plane that hires out to film. So you, you'll have seen the interior of that yeah. plane and loads of stuff without realising it, you know? And um, so every time you watch that car zipping around the top gear track, just spot that plane in the middle. Yeah. And um, the so we shot Airborne on that plane. And the scenes with Mark Hamill were all set inside, well, majority set inside an air traffic control centre. And I just, I remembered this space centre in uh, Leicester and I thought, I bet they've got somewhere in there that we could probably double as an air traffic control centre because most people are using their air traffic control centres. Yeah. Know? And we didn't have, we couldn't afford to build one, um, so you know, cut to months later, and we're sat in Leicester with Mark Hamill, you know, and Mark had a, another scene where he needed to, um, uh, it was like an interior of a house, yeah, and 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 I just thought, you know, the, the, his character was sort of in a sim, you know, comparable to my the house that my dad lived in. Yeah. So I literally called my dad and I was like, do you mind if we bring Mark Hamill over and shoot part of our movie? <laughs> <laughs> Luke Skywalker's coming over. Can you put the kettle on? And, and and that was actually really funny because, of course, when we when Mark first landed, we made it. We we all sort of said, look, you know, we'll chat to him, you know, but we'll not. We won't bring up Star Wars. We no. don't want to be those people, you know. We, yeah. We're working with him. We're working on this movie. If Mark brings it up, then great. And he did, and he told us some unbelievable stories. Mark can literally grind a set to a halt with his stories and does frequently because no one wants to tell him to no. shut up and move on because everyone wants to hear the story. But um, Mark and I connected on, like, I, I'm a huge fan of The Big Red One, the war movie he was in. Yeah. And we're both fans of the old Untouchables TV show, the TV series. And so we connected on those kind of levels. But we'd basically gone, like, a couple of days without mentioning Star Wars unless Mark brought it up. And we'd said the same to the crew. We just don't want to harass him. No. I mean, now we know Mark. He's lovely. He wouldn't have minded in the scientist. No. But uh, at the time, we didn't. 
So, so no one mentions Star Wars. We, you know, we, we get it. Get Mark up to Darby. He's, he's comfies with his wife, who's a sweetheart as well. It's it, he's chilling out in my dad's conservatory, <laughs> which is kind of surreal. <laughs> and uh, and literally um, through through you know you've seen what it's like when a yeah. crew takes over a house. It's complete chaos. And through the crew, I just see my dad like across the way, weaving through, holding two massive Star Wars posters. <laughs> Walk straight in the conservatory, straight up to Mark. Mark, would you mind just signing these? You know, I'm just like, oh god, you know. But I mean, you know, Mark didn't care at all. It was hilarious, and my dad still laughs at that now. But anyway, it, that kind of it was that experience that triggered the um, the idea that you know that we don't have to just shoot in London. No, there's absolutely no reason we can't shoot elsewhere. And actually, do you know what? I've got to tell this um, amazing Mark Hamill story. So when we were shooting in um, in Leicester. We finished on a Saturday night, and what Mark had done is he'd asked us to keep it out of the press that he was here, because yeah. it does, as you can imagine, it gets people go a bit crazy. And um, and he said, I'll do all the press to, to promote the film, but just while I'm here, just keep it on the download. Yeah. So we'd arranged, like, I know Dave over at Hey You Guys, you know that website? Yeah, and yeah. Some good people, and some friends of ours, Empire Magazine, came up and, to do a few interviews. So we're doing a couple of these interviews in his trailer, just as he was about to finish filming on a Saturday evening. And uh, we just finished the last interview, and I opened the trailer door, peered out, and, and a stormtrooper walked past. And I shut the fucking eyes, oh, for fuck's sake. And, and I just, and I opened the door again, and this is true, there's like a Princess Leia, and like a Wookiee, and like all, like they're all walking past, and I was like, fuck it, you know, it's. We're at a Comic Con. It's gone out. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Feel, it literally yeah. felt like a comic, that's exactly what it felt like. And um, so, um, so I slid out the door. And, uh, and there's an actor called Billy Murray that's also in the film. And, uh, and Billy come up to me and, um, and he said that ba- basically what had happened is it, it struck me as unusual because we were quite obviously in a trailer. So if you were on a film set looking for Mark Hamill, you would think you would start at the trailer. But these yeah. people were just walking past the trailer. And, uh, and Billy come up to me and as, they, as these people were walking in, they were all walking into this like big building as part of the space centre. And there was a guy with a camera filming people as they walked in. And he'd come over to Billy and he'd told Billy that what was going on and asked Billy if he would film a message. And because uh, the guy with the camera had recognised Billy. And basically what was going on, cut long story short, it was, it was a guy's 50th birthday. They'd hired this place out for the Saturday night and it was a Star Wars fancy dress theme. And not only was it this guy's 50th birthday, he was also celebrating having been clear of cancer for five years so he'd beaten cancer for five years and was throwing this massive party and they the guy had recognized billy and said oh would you do a message so billy had come up to me and he said um billy said to me he said um should we ask mark do you reckon mark could do a message for us and i was like yeah well you know i don't know let's go and find out you know so because you can imagine like what are the chances of being in leicester on a it's, saturday it's, night it's, <laughs> i just put myself in that guy's head now thinking a relief for you knowing that there isn't the word out as that yeah. luke's here yeah but that guy's gonna have the best birthday anyway because he's 50 years old he's not got cancer he's got all his family there and now and then suddenly yeah. and now so i walk in and i explain the situation to uh to mark and i said would you would you mind doing a, a video message and he said no i i won't do that he said Let's go in the party. <laughs> That's mental. So, I mean, at this point, you, I was just like, you know, brain, take every second of this in because this is, yeah. you know, you, this is going to be one of those moments. So we took Mark over to the entrance of this party and this guy just went, he, he could see through him. He just went white <laughs> as a sheet. He could not, I mean, he didn't speak for about the first two minutes. You know, he just couldn't. But you wouldn't, out. would you? What, you're in Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> at a space centre and you've got Luke it, Skywalker it turn up. It was amazing. And Mark was just everything you would hope. He, he was chatted to the guy, did a video message, did photos. And then Mark stood. They'd done this little sort of mini red carpet thing. Yeah. People, and he stood on that and he must have taken, he must have been stood there half an hour. Photos and saying all that. He didn't turn one single photo water raft down. Not one single. And he had, he had to drive to London after that and get on a plane. And he didn't, he was there the whole time. He, honestly, he was just... And I remember just sitting there going, well, you know, you just don't begrudge the sort of success that... And I'm so stoked for Mark with these new Star Wars yeah. films. I hear that his performance is so good. There's Oscar rumbles talk. of Oscars, yeah. 
and that would to me that I, I I would literally be jumping up and down screaming if he won an Oscar because he deserves it. And I can hundred percent confirm he's totally one of us. He's an absolute geek. I've been in his man cave in uh, in his house in Malibu, and it is like you've not you wouldn't believe it. It's got a big cinema screen at the end of it, and it's just packed full of comics and figures <sighs> and and games and just the most awesome man cave I've ever seen in my life. You know so. As much as you talk about that film and you watched it back, that was the day you kind of met Jason Mewes. And okay, you had fire, you had bees, you had honey burning, you had people kicking off at you. That's the reason you're here now for Madness in the Method. That is probably the best thing that ever happened to you. Well, Jay, um, you know, I I instantly really got on with Jay. And you could see that he was um, kind of going through the motions a bit, doing his part, you know. And... I sort of said to him, respectfully, I felt comfortable enough. It was so brilliant listening to your podcast because you were saying you were trying to, I could hear you trying to sort of describe what it's like to meet Jay because he's such a genuine down-to-earth person. You know, you are just hanging out with him and it's yeah. so quick that it, actually it's only if he takes to people in fairness to, you know, so obviously he genuinely really liked you. But Jay is, um, you know, he, he's such a wonderful, generous person. And so I felt comfortable with him really quickly. And I just sort of said to him, look, I said, with respect, Jay, you, you're delivering a great performance, but I can, I feel like, not phoning in is too far too harsh, but you're not doing anything that challenges you. You're doing what in, you know, in this role, and it was me that offered him the thing. I did, I wasn't directing it. Uh, Owen did, you know, and he did a great job under the circumstances. But the, um, but the, you know, Jay wasn't being challenged. The role offered him nothing that, you know. And I sort of said to Jay, I said, well, you know, if you could do absolutely anything, you know, anything that you could really get your teeth into. What would you fancy doing? And uh, and he said, "Well, I'd really love to play a serial killer. That's what I'd really love to play." And uh, and he was almost like, bless him, almost like, not embarrassed to say it. I wouldn't say that far, but he was almost like he almost thought I would laugh at him. I think by him saying, "I want to play like a serial killer," but I was like instantly, like, "Well, that's great. I've not seen you do that before. Yeah. I feel like that would challenge you. I feel like that you would engage into that." And. Whilst Madness in the Method is not about a serial killer, no. but it did, that was kind of the seed that sent us off into this mental story that it is. And and I said, all right, Jay, I said, what I'm going to do, after hanging out with him for a week doing Devils, I was like, I'm going to go and write you something, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to pitch it to you. And he was like, cool. And I think he thought, yeah, all right. Yeah, I'll sure. never hear from you again. All right, English Whatever. boy, yeah. nice one, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, so I then, um, I uh, liaised with uh, a friend of mine, Chris, who is um, also a massive uh, Jay and Silent Bob fan, and, well, Viewer Skew fan. And, uh, and so we started kicking around different ideas and we, we fell onto something that, you know, we thought, this is, this is really good, this is great. But it was very much, as you know, you know, it's an alternate universe that Madness is set in. Yeah. It is real. Like Jay's playing Jay, Kevin's playing Kevin. Yeah. You know, uh, Danny Trio's playing Danny Trio. You know, it's like um, some people are playing, like Matt Willis isn't playing himself. You know, Blake Harrison, Neil from the in-between, yeah. he's playing somebody else. But generally speaking, um, the people in it are playing themselves in yeah. an alternate universe. And so we knew that for the concept, for us even to bother writing a first draft of it, we needed to pitch this thing to Jay, tell him the idea, and see if he's up for it. Because... because you have to have a, a sense of humour for a start. Yeah. You know? And also, it acknowledges, you know, it, it, in the film, right at the start, acknowledges that Jay is pissed off because he's not being considered for more serious roles. Yeah. Because you know? with full respect to Jay, Jay's Jay. Yeah. He's, well, he's Jay in... He's no, if you ever see him in the street, it's not like you meet Tom Hanks, who's to someone might be Forrest Gump or could be Josh Baskin from Big. Yeah, Jay yeah, is Jay. Yeah, you see him and you expect him to have a beanie on and a yellow jacket, saying "noish, noish, noish." You do, don't you? That's what you expect from him. You do, but you can. But Jay is absolutely capable of not playing Jay, as he demonstrates in Madness. And I can't. I don't want to ruin it, and I've got to be careful what I say. But I've seen him not being Jay yeah, on the set, yeah. and he's fucking unbelievable. He really is. He really is. I mean, Jay has killed it in this film. Not it's only is he directed the thing, he's bloody starred in it and delivered a killer performance in many ways. The um, the um, so so anyway. Long story short, we pitched this idea to Jay, and Jay was like, "Fuck yeah, that sounds like a riot. I'm up for it." So we went and wrote it, and we wrote this first draft, punted it over to him, and he read it, and he was he was actually he was warm to it, but um, I thought he hadn't bitten. I really thought he hadn't bitten, and then he was over in the UK, 
doing some smart uh, podcast stuff and we sat down and and we got right into it and he he was much warmer on it than I'd thought I didn't miss I misinterpreted it and also he had some really cool ideas some fun ideas and so then we took his ideas and did a second draft and added some new ones of our own and at that point he was like okay now we you know he you could tell you he got was me. really engaged at that point and and I certainly felt we had a stronger thing and um and, and and then we let it you know because I think I went and did um so this 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 first draft existed before I went and did a, a World War Two movie called Allies, and so which was actually great because it allowed the script to kind of sit and and for us to forget it and then go back to it. Which yeah. Is, which is a great process, I think, as a writer to be yeah. able to do that because you can suddenly see it the stuff that you really gave a shit about before you're not quite as sensitive about you're not yeah. quite as you don't mind cutting or changing, and then we did you know what which was probably now about the tenth eleventh draft of the script it was quite you know and that was the one that everybody turned everybody's head you know and my producing partner Rob it was only at that point I actually sent it out to him he's over in LA and uh, Rob read it and went this is hilarious and he's a huge fan of the yeah. world as well this is great and Rob and I at that point we were like yeah that's what we're going to do that's going to be our next one you know that we're full steam ahead on this and then it was like right Jay we're doing it let's, let's go for it and Jay for ages just didn't believe us he didn't and I'm sure he'll t- you know he say the same thing He, I just don't think he believe we were going to pull it off and it was really going to happen because there's so much bullshit in Hollywood so much bollocks yeah. that people talk you know and, and he must uh, he's been promised stuff every day all his life yeah, that never follows yeah, through big time big time there's so much bullshit you know but we were like no we're hell bent on this let's do it <laughs> and uh, you know and then um, and so we started then putting the cast together you know like very early on I was I was saying to you earlier Matt Willis yeah. Matt from Busted I'm like just I just think he is going to blow up as an actor. I'm absolutely convinced of it. He's one of the best actors I've ever worked with. He's got such a unique, charismatic presence on screen. He's incredible in Allies, and no one can ever believe it's him. And he's just delivered an absolute barnstorming performance in Madness in the Method. He is amazing in it. And Matt was one of the first people I actually went to and said, I really, really want you to do it. And I said to Jay, look, you know, actually, it's kind of one of my things. I was like, Jay, you know, I don't want to... This is your baby, absolutely, but... I've got a request. <laughs> Matt's in. You, know, you want me, you have a To be fair to Jane, you know, he, he'd, uh, Jay'd seen allies and, you know, he, there, there, was no, there was no problem. No. We needed Kevin, you yeah. know, but Jay didn't want to go to Kevin until we were rock solid, which I 100% understood. And, um, but Kevin straight away was like, of course, you know, do whatever you want me to do, my friend. Yeah. You know, like, Kevin was amazing. And then the cast, Danny Trio is one of uh, Jay's best mates, so he came on board really quickly. And uh, and then and then the cast just suddenly just started getting bigger and bigger and more and more crazy. And do you know what? You know, the respect that Jay has in LA is huge. It's huge. It really is. You know, you, you the the fact that you know you, you're doing Jay's directorial debut. I mean, it really turns heads. People take it very seriously. You know, and um, and actually, if anything, I mean, <laughs> the writer and I, the the guy Chris, who I wrote it with, we were in um, over in LA for a couple of months um, last year. And we were over in LA for what over Halloween, and um, we dressed up as Jay and Silent Bob for Halloween. Nice. And uh, <laughs> and we actually thought we we actually thought I wonder you know I wonder if people are gonna you know I wonder if people are gonna still general public again yeah. you know and it was so funny because literally we had a house out there and we literally opened our front door and a car drove past and went Schnoogans. <laughs> And I was like, oh shit. And actually, I texted Jay the next day. I was like, do you know what, mate? I really didn't realise quite how fucking famous you are, bro. Yeah. Unbelievable. We spent the whole night, like, get to doing pictures with people all night. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're so well loved out there. And I and I think that, um, I mean, I can't wait for the new Jay and Bob Yeah, movie. the reboot film. I can't wait. But, you know, I just think there's a very, very thirsty, sleeping giant of fans that are just going to love this movie. It's for, I mean... I am a fan and it's written for the fans. You know, there's so many references and so many, you know, little nods. And I think you'll enjoy it from a point of view of it just being a kind of crime thriller comedy kind of mashup. But at the same time, uh, if you're any sort of fan of US Gear, you're going to love this movie. How can you not? But the thing is with Kevin Smith fans, I was, I'm one of them. I was on the forums back in the day when he used to reply to me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm on US forum. I can't believe this. And... 
my god, like you don't like Kevin Smith films. You they they are part of your life. Yeah, it's so and true. That is it. You you don't just go. Oh yeah, I think I've seen that one. Is that the one in the shop that's black and white? You're like, yeah, I know Clerks. I know Randall. I know Dante. I know everything about it. It's filmed in New Jersey. It's the Quick Stop. You know everything. You become obsessed, and so then you true. love Chasing Amy. You love Moritz. You love Tusk, even though it's not the greatest film. You love it because it's still Kevin Smith. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm with you. Know, you yoga hoses. It, it's ridiculous, but it's still I, good fun. I, I mean, I thought I thought yoga hoses was great. It wasn't without fault, but I really enjoyed it. I yeah. really, I, genu- I know, like, but I, I can actually understand with yoga hoses why it wouldn't have as widespread appeal because there's a lot of real in jokes you need to listen to the podcast yeah, you do, you know? do you, know? you love Ralph who oh don't bother watching uh, uh, yeah, it yeah exactly yeah I mean but I, I mean you know it's but 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 madness is very much a throwback to the um, the you know the old school viewer skew movies Chasing Amy Morath very yeah. much in that vein you know we and we're you know I mean like I was so starstruck when Brian O'Halloran arrived on set for example you know I was like I can't believe it Brian O'Halloran's in fucking Derby this is mental you know yeah. like, I got such a kick out of that and um, his know. performance I, I've seen it I was in the kitchen when you were amazing. filming amazing that guy is I again I see him as Dante he goes to comic cons as Dante He's that's him but he's not He's this performance he gives that I only saw for 10 minutes was I was just invested I was like I want to see this whole film now he's killing it and it really holds on screen I mean Brian is incredible he is incredible I mean, it's hard not... The problem is is that you don't want to come across sycophantic. I don't want to come across like a kiss-ass, you no. know? But I am still starstruck by Jay. I am starstruck when I meet Brian O'Halloran. I am, I'm so, like, made up that I get to work with him. I don't really want to not be either. I don't give a fuck whether it's cool or not. I am genuinely starstruck, Yeah. You know? And um, you That's know, just respect, though, isn't it? You've watched him growing up. I, I had the figures from Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, so you know the figures there. I I had a photo outside the Quick Stop when I went to New Jersey because I was like, I need to go there. The guy wouldn't let me go behind the counter. I was like, you arsehole, just let me for five minutes (laughs) pick up a packet of cigarettes. Look, here is my lighter. What is it? Nails. You know what I mean? It's it's living proof. It's. I mean, it it is true. I mean, it's like and to. I I mean to to be in any way a part of it. I still have to pinch myself the fact that we're now kind of. In, a, in our own way part of that world you know and it's like we've created this insane adventure that Jay's kind of taken us and guided us through in this unique way that I think only Jay could you know only Jay could have directed this film because it's yeah. just it's just I don't know there's something about it that's quite special I think and uh, I, I'm just so excited to get it out there I just want to get I want people to see it you, you for the last few months have actually directed Kevin Smith well, I, Jason Mewes, Stan Lee. I've produced them. I've yeah, produced but you've them. you've told them you've, you've <laughs> told them what they need to do, which the, is mind blowing. The, the the, I mean, to be on set with these names, I mean, it it was absolutely, yeah, it was just yeah, indescribable, indescribable. And to watch Jay working with them, I mean, actually, what was really nuts is, um, like, I think it was the second day when we had Matt in. And to watch Matt and Jay and kind of let loose together. And like that was like, because they're two sort of creative forces that I respect. And, but you would never in a million years, they would never come across each other. No. You know, you, why you know, would they? Exactly. Is although, Jay going to go to a busted gig? Although there was a great, there was a great um, moment where Matt actually bumped into Mark Hamill in an airport and called me up like freaking out that he bumped into Mark Hamill and was like, dude, dude, I can't believe, it. I was like, go and say hello, you idiot. He's like, I can't, it's Mark Hamill, I can't be that guy. I was like, go and say hello, he's fine, you know? So that was, that was a weird sort of crossing of worlds. But the, um, but yeah, just sort of knowing that like, putting when Matt and Jay were in the same room, because that really did, obviously Jay knows Stan Lee, yeah. he knows Kevin, he knows Brian. But when, but when it was kind of, there was something extra crazy when Jay and Matt were, and, and the, the scenes between Jay and Matt are, are some of my favourite in the film, you know? It was so, it, you know, it was so, so much fun. But yeah, but I mean, but I mean, don't, you know, I really do want to make that that, that definition clear. This is very much Jay's movie, and I yeah. was producing it and supporting him, and in any way I could do, I helped him. And he had to, you know, run off and do costumes and lines, so he would, because obviously I've experience in directing, yeah. and passion in it. So he, we would in the morning sit, and I'd go, right, what do you want today, boss? You know, what what you yeah. thinking? What are we going through? And um, so I would know. I would be in Jay's head from the start of every day. I mean, obviously we had an overview right from the start. Yeah. And Jay and I had an agreement where, you know, he would allow me. I can't, you know, as you may know from knowing me for the short time you have, I'm someone who shares my opinion. (laughs) 
And uh, so I was never going to... statement of the day. <laughs> I was never going to sit there and be a wallflower. I was always going to tell him what I thought. But I also said, Jay, you know, we've got that relationship like where... Like, I'm always going to give you my opinion, and you've always got to feel free to tell me to go and fuck off. Yeah. And he did. Not, you know, not in a... No, not in an offensive... You you never upset him or offended him, but I'm sure you had that mutual respect where he took on what you said, and if he didn't agree, he'd be like, nah, fuck that. 100%. 100%, yeah. And it would have been a disaster if you hadn't. He'd go, nah, I I don't don't actually like that, I want to do it this way. Yeah. And sometimes he would go, uh, you know, we good to do it this way around, well, that makes sense, because obviously he's not as experienced in the edit. Yeah. You know, he would you know, ask a bit. But he would ask opinions from the crew as well. It wasn't just me. He would like... Jay's a very collaborative filmmaker. He's very smart. I mean, obviously, he's been on a million film sets, seen Kevin work. He gets how the process yeah. works. But he's very... I always think it's a smart director that knows to lean on his crew. Yeah. You know, where necessary. You know, because, you know, they're all experts in their own field. So you'd be daft not to lean on them where necessary, you know? That's one of the things that perhaps took me longer than it should have to learn, actually. Yeah, he must have had a lot of faith and trust in you, knowing that he's not here all the time. He's leaving it the ball in your court. You've got to make sure that production team are together in Derby when he arrives. You had a lot of pressure on you to deliver. Well, we had Jay. I think what Jay and I do have is a trust. Yeah, I do think, and I tell you, Jay doesn't trust easily. He's, he's very friendly and very good with people. But one thing he does, you have to earn his trust. He's no fool, Jay isn't. No. And anyone who mistakes him as one, you know, will, will soon will soon realise that they're an idiot, yeah. <laughs> basically, because because um, Jay's very smart and he's um, a lot more on the ball than you could be forgiven for thinking he is at yeah. times, you know? And um, and I, I figured that out really quickly. And um, so so I think me and Jay have a... I, I would like to think we have a mutual respect. I certainly have a huge respect for Jay, and, uh, and I'm a huge admirer of his work, and I would produce him again in a heartbeat. I can't wait to produce him again. You yeah. know, I, I want to know what he wants to direct. Are we doing Madness 2? Are we doing... You know some of the madness that he's come up with. What are we doing? You know, because I I would work with Jay again. I think I think he's got a career as a director. I do, and that was only spending a day with him. I I sat with him. I went for lunch. I went to Starbucks. We sat, and it like you said, it feels like a mate, which yeah, is weird. Absolutely. And you know, I think he accepted me, and we we kind of just got on. And by the end of the day, I thought to myself, as mad as it sounds, maybe not on the scale, but that that could be another Ben Affleck. He's been in front of the camera. He's been on a lot of films. Remember, he started on Chasing Amy and stuff like that. And he's fucking making Argo and winning Oscars, you know, and Batman. Okay, I don't see Jay being in, you know, Justice League one day, but I see that he will make another good film and another good film. And people will start going, actually, this is a really good filmmaker. This guy's not just the stoner guy from Jay and Silent Bob. He's actually got an eye for it. Absolutely. I really agree with that. I think um, he's not just the stoner guy from him. He's a lot more both as a person and as a talent, you know, and, um, I mean, the thing with Jay is that when, what I love about Jay and what excites me is that, like, some of his ideas are so sharp, but also so completely, I mean, I I would just like, I would never have thought of that. I would never have thought of that. There's one little gag, and it's, um, I'll be very careful not to do a spoiler of, and there's one little gag where Brian O'Halloran's walking along a corridor, and, he gives himself a shock in the mirror sees his own reflection gives himself a shock and that sounds like pure slapstick yeah and it's not it exists we're we're madness in the method is entourage before it is austin powers yeah in terms of like the tonal the tone of the comedy yeah you know so it's not slapstick and i and i when it when jay first suggested it i was like oh that might feel a bit cartoonish yeah a bit forced I didn't say a bit over it, the top you know, yeah. but i thought it now when brian am one he knows brian and knows brian's quality as an actor and Brian pulled it off brilliantly so first of all Brian sold it and now in the film it's actually one of the it's such a brilliant little moment that I would never in a million years have thought of never mind done and and that's why I you know I know it's a small daft example but just no but it's it's those little things that Jay just they make a thing that people watch that and it'll be their favourite moment in the film and he's got a million of them you know just stuff that that comes out of Jay's mind that I don't think comes out of anyone else's mind you know all I'm doing now is sitting here thinking, when is it out? I, I've, I've, I've had a teaser. I've been on set. I've seen it. I've seen lots of good stuff going on. You know, I, I, you've heard my podcast. I don't talk about any certain scenes because it's not fair. Yeah, no, I want people good. to be very, good, very yeah. surprised. And what, what, where are we at now? So now we're sitting here. It's nearly April. What, what are we looking at? Well, I'm, I'm honestly not sure. I'm, I go to LA in the morning. Yeah. Um, so I'll go and meet Jay and Rob and we'll... 
you know, we're going to figure out a plan and, uh, you know, Jay's got to spend some time. You know, we've got a kind of rough assembly now that yeah. the editor and I put together and now Jay's got to get in there and he's got to go through the edit with the editor and go through what he wants and change and tweak and sharpen. We may have what well, we... I mean, I can't say yet, but I think we've got another treat coming in terms of another member of the cast that I think we're gonna that's gonna join. <laughs> oh my god! So we've got a bit more to shoot as well. You just tease, and all those so listeners are just like, I know Damn it's you. so much fun. But I mean, I hope what we're portraying is that you know, knowing and working with Jay is every bit as much fun as you imagine it yeah. would be. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's just such a laugh, and we've had just you know, the the this shoot has just been a riot, and every day you've got somebody. You know, some other star in there. If it's Terry Hatcher, Judd Nelson, but he, you know, I mean, I, 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 every time I try and start listing the cast, I, I forget Vinnie some Jones. Of yeah, Vinnie Jones. You know, what mad. a range. Yeah. It's, it's an absolutely bonkers cast. It's bonkers. So, what's the future looking like for you? I know you're going to America, you're going to be getting this film done, you've got loads of promotion, you've got the premiere, you've got all the after stuff. But what after that? Now, what's your moment? Well, Forget I, Jay, you. I, I'm, uh, I'm ready to die. I really want to direct something. I've yeah. not directed in a little while now, so I'm gagging to direct. So I've got a couple of projects that I'm looking at at the moment. Um, um, Rob and I... The problem is, is that it sounds... What I don't want to be is um, we're not someone who likes to announce stuff. No. The, the, the film business is so fickle and things can collapse. I mean, I think I know what the next one's going to be, but I can't say it just yet because... If it collapses, you know, I just I'd rather say something when I know one hundred percent it's going to happen. I you know, we say it and then we do it. Yeah. But but you know, uh, there's some exciting stuff very close, and and certainly working with Jay again, you know, I would like that to be sooner rather than later. And after Madness and the Method, people, you don't know where it's going to go. It could elevate to the next level. I, I think I really believe that Jay has directed an absolute indie gem that you'll enjoy, even if you're not a VSQ fan, you'll get a real kick of it. But if you are in any way a VSQ fan, it's unmissable. <laughs> it really is. It's so much fun. I pinch myself every time I watch it, because I'm just like, I can't believe it. I cannot believe that my name is on a bloody Ken Smith and Jason Mewes movie, and, and, and I just can't believe it. You know, and, and the fact that I got to produce Jay's directorial debut is... I mean, so yeah. I mean, you I'm, can never get that moment again. Yeah. No one else is going to get to say that. You were on the debut feature of Jason Mewes. Yeah, and I know Rob feels the same. Christy, the writer, he feels the same. And Jazz, you know, the, and and that Jazz who did always. I know you gave him a shout out in the last one, but Jazz. You see, the thing is, is that so many of the crew are just unsung heroes. We had an amazing American crew in LA. Incredible. They worked their asses off, and they were so cool. And then we did it again in the UK. We had this great uh, line producer in LA called Charles. He just brought it in for us and then some and then Jazz, you know, steering the ship in the UK and me and Rob overseeing the whole thing. Everyone I met in Derby, that house had about 100 people in, but every single person (laughs) had a purpose to be there. Yeah. And they all nailed it and they worked their asses off and not one person moaned. And maybe it was just a good day, but I didn't hear anyone bitch or moan. I was like, wow. We we were honoured and privileged and it didn't go unnoticed and... Hopefully we'll be back in Derby doing something equally mental quite soon, actually. And I'm going to be there. Oh, 100%. Wicked. Great stuff. Thank you. Thank you, mate. Thank you. So there it is. There's the interview with Dominic Burns. And I didn't kind of overhype it. I think the stories he tells, the kind of knowledge he has, and the so much that he has witnessed in such a short time, it's it's scary. I know that I will be looking back at this podcast in a few years' time and people won't believe I've actually sat down with Dominic because I think he's going to be huge. Just seeing him, and as I mentioned on the uh, interview itself on set and the way he works and the way that he... He's so creative and so talented and I'm just... I'm in so so much awe of him and it was such a pleasure to do this interview. So, as always, I want to say a big thank you to Dominic for everything you've done on Mark and Me. You've got me three amazing guests... I owe you so much and I know that we'll be working together in the future. I'm excited about coming on sets of future projects you get involved in, films that you're going to direct, films that you're going to produce. I really do think I've made a friend here for life. So Dominic, I am so grateful for you taking the time to come on this episode. The response for the last few episodes has been fantastic. I really, really like the response that came from Lawrence and I've seen loads of people tweeting now saying they've got into Turbo Kid and they're loving it. I've got another episode coming out in a couple of weeks' time. If you know by now, I don't reveal my next guest. I never do. Why would I? I like teasing on social media. I like building it up. But there's going to be a video. There'll be a little teaser trailer. There'll be 
picks. There'll be the usual stuff. But what I do want you to do is keep following me on Twitter. Keep coming on Facebook and liking the page on um, Instagram. Because all your support means the world. And I wouldn't do it without you guys. So until next time, thanks for listening. And I'll speak to you all again soon.